Well, if I told you all that I had an epiphany this morning, what would you think that that would mean? Anyone? What would you think I was trying to tell you? Anyone? A revelation? Yep, that's probably the purest form of epiphany, and it's a revelation from a divine messenger. Today, I think it's been downgraded to more just a revelation. You can have an epiphany moment where you also something snaps in your mind, it comes together, maybe you're studying real hard and not trying not being able to figure out why two numerals aren't adding up the way they should and you have an epiphany moment maybe after you know a long time of trying to work on this thing all of a sudden something happens you you know how this comes together well this is a, a season we're not used to this really um but uh after christmas on january 6 on your calendars those that include the holidays you'll see epiphany day and uh, how many of you would uh, is there anyone here that would know what that means? No one? Sure, surely Gary would, right? No? Okay. Uh, I wouldn't either, except that I was working on this subject of the Magi. As you know, we're commonly understood as Magi, but it's actually Magi. That's the way it's pronounced, the wise men. I was working on a study of that, and I noticed that uh, the Western Christians celebrate the Epiphany on January 6th, and uh, that being the revelation of God to the Gentiles, to the Magi, or to the wise men. And then the, the uh, Eastern Christians, known also as the Orthodox, they would celebrate the Epiphany as well, but it would include the baptism of Jesus Jesus, and the wedding at Cana. And actually the Eastern Orthodox only, only observe the baptism of Jesus as the epiphany. Anyways, just that's just a bit of background on, on the epiphany. Now, I know that we're after Christmas now, and for some of us we get Christmas uh, fatigued. Um, and I hope that's not happening to you this morning. In our Sunday school class, we're way ahead already into the miracles of Jesus. I think we're moving along a little too fast, personally. Um, but if we stop and think, you know, if Christmas is about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer songs coming across the radio and so forth, or hearing them in town and hearing these other A White Christmas, thank you, which we didn't get, and a lot of those other songs, then yes, I'd be Christmas fatigued as well. But if it's the beauty of Christianity and the remembrance of, of what is, what is uh, you know, the, the beauty of Jesus coming to earth and so forth, then I'm not fatigued. I'm not Christmas fatigued. And I hope you won't be either. Um, so I'm here this morning. I'd like to share the, the narrative of the Magi or of the wise men. Now, the first prophecy of this, the Magi and them following the star, it's a peculiar prophecy. It starts back in Numbers. If we read Numbers twenty four seventeen, there's an old prophet there 
Now, he may have not been old. I don't know how old he was. His name was Balaam. And he made this prophecy. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star, capital star, out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 2 and read the passage there in Matthew 2. And I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. It says the wise men from the East is what it, it titles this chapter as. And let's stand to read the word here. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Israel was with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, And when he had found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now I want to go on into the flight into Egypt, Joseph, just just for the sake of the narrative. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. This young child was a very important child, we can see. When, they, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, see the other side of it, when he saw what, that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who are in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. You may be seated. So now we go back again to Balaam's prophecy. He said he's going to, there's going to be a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You know, this was a prophecy made by a true but very wicked prophet, prophet Balaam. He made this prophecy when the children of Israel were being led by a pillar of fire on their wilderness journey. 
They were camped there close to Balak's land, his kingdom. We know the story. Balak called for Balaam, said, look, I'll give you silver. I'll give you great wealth if you just come. And if you just curse this people, we've seen the way they've just overtaken, overcome other nations around. And we, we, we would like for you to come uh, and just curse these people. And they, I think Balak was pretty sure if that if Balaam did that, they would have an advantage, a superior advantage over the children of Israel. We know the story that, first of all, God did give Balaam a blessing to go, and then he persevered in wanting to go. And God let him go, and then he was met by the angel, which almost killed him. Were it not for the donkey, it said he would have been killed. And then he was also told again, there you only speak the words that I give to you. And, and Balaam went and did that. He had one, two, three, and four oracles, or uh, prophecies. Each time he asked for a for a, an elaborate sacrifice to be prepared. It must have been a costly deal for, for Balak. And each time he moved. Now this was the fourth oracle. I'm not sure if he moved between the third and fourth oracle. But uh, and, and, all, and the three others he did. Or the first three he did. Um, and he gives this, this prophecy which is just really conclusive about about the, the Messiah coming and, and, and being um, a blessing and also being a rod, a um, judgmental rod to, to those that wouldn't listen to his word. A star out of Jacob. Now we have the, the children of these, uh, these Magi coming and uh, we have the children of Israel in Jerusalem, witnessing something very different. The king, this child, the Christ child was born. He had physically entered the world, God in flesh. He had taken on the form of man, was made in the likeness of man. The angels had announced his birth. We heard Rich's message here a couple of Sundays ago. The angels had announced his birth. The shepherds had paid their visit. And somewhere I like to think in all that delight, a little drummer boy had made his debut, but that's not recorded. We don't know that, but we like to think. I, I think of this children piping out in the streets and, and uh, making a lot of racket, so as to say. Um, the Jews here were privileged with the first announcement. And now come the time for the Gentiles. The Gentile... Magi come with a purpose to see the fulfillment of this most important prophecy. And the traditional names assigned to them by the earlier church in the 8th century are Belshazzar, he was a Babylonian scholar by tradition, Caspar, an Indian scholar, a Melchor, a Persian scholar. <clears throat> uh, there was a document in the 8th century called the Excerpta Latina Barbar. Um, and it's pronounced a little differently than that, but um, in that these names appear and these in this account uh, appears. And that's where this tradition comes from, is from this document. Well, what we do know is that the Magi traveled. 
You know, they believe strongly enough in this prophecy and the sign of the star to act on it. And they left the warmth and safety of their home, their place, to gather themselves up, get on their camels, and take a very long journey. For some of them, it may have been very, very long. And for what purpose? You know, what would it benefit them? You know, I don't believe that they knew all the answers to their questions, but they were ready to move ahead on the evidences they had. And so we come into the account here with the Magi coming into Jerusalem and saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. You know, these were these men were forthright. They were bold and they were honest in their quest. They weren't sneaky or controvert. You know, they really believed in what they were doing and they didn't have any embarrassment in, in letting the people know of their mission. They came expecting to find this king of the Jews. And when Herod heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod was troubled and understandably so. He was a Jew, but he wasn't a God-fearing Jew at all in in any respect. You know, undeniably in his mind, important men had come into his kingdom. And these men had come with the, the said purpose of finding that newborn king. You know, this must have been very troubling. We know it was to this ruthless surrogate leader of the Romans. Herod was king of the Jews in name only. He, wasn't, he certainly wasn't king of the Jews as it pertains to the hope of Israel. And I, I would also say that if Herod and his men and his people, the hierarchy of Israel, when it says all Israel, I would imagine that this was the hierarchy of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, if they were so concerned, so troubled by this, I, I would ask the question that, you know, how connected really were they with the prophecies? How did they even find out about the angels and their announcement? And the shepherds. I don't know. I can imagine maybe them hearing about these things and saying, you know, the shepherds are always coming up with something new. You know, they they don't eat something right the night before, and first thing you know, they've got these dreams, these visions, these whatever, and it's hard telling what these shepherds will come up with. Um, You know, they're always out in the field by themselves, and so they can't really... You know, they they really can't sound off of other people with real wisdom, and uh, they're just country folk. Um, Who knows what they may have said about the shepherd's visit, even if, you know, or about the angel's visit and the shepherd's announcement. Maybe they didn't even hear about it. Um, Maybe they did hear about it, and this just compounded that message to to Herod and, and to all of Israel, all of Jerusalem, I should say. And maybe, you know, the Magi's visit here was just an evidence that something certainly was taking place. But why would have Herod, the question comes to my mind, why would have Herod been particularly upset by the Magi's visit? I believe there are several factors here, but mostly it's because that they were these were men of standing in the East. These were men of affluence. 
Now, I believe that these men's wisdom and insight would have been welcome in any Eastern court or any royal court. You know, Herod probably didn't understand or appreciate the virgin birth and the message of the angels and the shepherds announcing it. But the words of the Magi, I believe, gripped his heart in a whole different way. He understood earthly authority. And I believe these Magi came in with a, with a, um, uh, the word doesn't come to my mind, but with the, the appearance, with the effect of, of people that were authoritative, that knew what they were talking about, that were studied men. And I'm sure that one question Herod would have asked was, where are these wise men from? Where are these Magi from? You know, the scripture doesn't really answer that question except to say that they were from the east. And I'd like to explore this from the east just a bit. There are Christians in China that are convinced that they had wise men that visited the Christ child. We don't have record of that. That would have been a very, very long journey. But not impossible, you know, given the trade routes that already existed. And it, would have been, it wouldn't have been improbable in that God was wanting to make known, wanting to reveal His Son to all people. But there, there are certainly documents that show or that would give indication that the Chinese would go to that would give an indication that they had people visit or wise men visit the Christ child. Looking at this tradition, going back to that, that again of the three wise men uh, visiting the Christ child coming from the east, if these men were in fact from their respective countries, and I did a little Google earthing, if they were in fact from the respective countries, Belthasar would have had about 600 miles to go as a crow flies. I don't know how that would have been as a camel travels. That would have been about that far from the Persian Empire. Melchor would have had about a thousand miles from Persia or from Babylon. And um, I may have this mixed up. I think it was 600 miles from Babylon and a thousand miles from Persia. And Casper, I hope he enjoyed travel because from India he would have had about... uh, 2,500 miles to carry on. So that would have meant a trip starting relatively um, soon before Christ's birth to get there. And most likely, from what I can tell, a, a fast travel pay, a camel pace is around 70 miles, maybe even 90 miles a day, but they, from what I could tell, it's uh, an average uh, travel day for a camel would be more like 20 to 30 miles. So if you do a little math, you see that these men would have been on the the road, so as to speak, for a long time. And I kind of I kind of think they were, some of them were. You know, I think that probably the core of the from what I from what I've seen uh, studied, that the core of the 
Magi were from Babylon and were influenced by Daniel and his friends and their teachings and and the prophecy during the time of captivity. I enjoy the narrative of of the book of Ben Hur more and its complexity, and it may be it may be actually true. We don't know, but I venture that the the core of the Magi was more from the simple influence of Judaism in Babylon during the time of the seventy years of captivity, and that this was the seed that the, these the the influence of Daniel and other learned men from from uh, Israel were the seed that was planted in these Magi's men's minds to to move and act on finding the Christ child. I think probably they were joined by other men on their journey. If you think about it, think of being on these trade routes and so forth, it's very possible that other men came along, traders, uh, other people, of affluence that would have wanted to know what are you doing, where are you going, and maybe would have joined up. That we don't know. It's all speculation, but we do know that there were there were wise men, and they had three gifts. From those three gifts, is often comes the conclusion that there were three wise men. But I, I venture to say there were probably quite a few more, and maybe their families, and maybe servants. So there could have been quite an entourage come into Jerusalem um, at that time. And I don't think they came in and, and were just, you know, trying to scare Herod. Uh, probably they came to the gates and the, the soldiers there wanted to know, well, what are you doing here? Why are you coming? What do you seek? And they said, you know, well, we come, we're seeking the, the Christ child, the, the King of the Jews, born to the Jews. Of course, you know, this raises some question and those soldiers talk to their superiors and the, their superiors, you know, talk to theirs until they end up at Herod's gate and Herod says, hey, I want to talk to these guys and brings them into their court, into his court. But going back again to the the uh, the Babylonian um, theory that these wise men were probably from, from Babylon, if you look back at that, at, at Daniel's time, you see that the God of the Jews strongly impressed on the minds and lives of those living in the Babylonian Empire. Um, he, was, he, he strongly impressed on their minds that he was God above all gods and that he could make and shape. If you go back into Daniel 4, verse 33 King Nebuchadnezzar there praises Daniel's God following his seven years of exile in the park. He says, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And if we look at the context here, we'd, notice, uh, we'd see that a year earlier, about a year earlier, Daniel had told King Nebuchadnezzar had interpreted a dream for him and told him, "Look, uh, you know, I don't really want to. I don't really want to say this to you, Nebuchadnezzar, but it is for you." Finally, he did tell him. He said, "You know, unless you back off from your pride, unless you acknowledge the God who put you in the in this place, unless you treat other people, the poor, equitably, 
uh, he's going to bring this prophecy to pass on you. And Nebuchadnezzar took heed for a while, but finally, about a year later, he couldn't hold it in. And he said, look at this great Babylon I built. And this happened to him. He went out in the park for seven years and became like a very unusual beast. And then he says this after he was restored to health in in Daniel 4.34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And he goes on to say, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, why doest thou? And he goes on to say how his reason returned to him. And he says, I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And he said that from experience. And then we have King, Dari- King Darius. He praises Daniel's God after Daniel's delivered from the lion's den. Uh, then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And that was pretty remarkable. Remember, Daniel came out, the others went in and they were crushed immediately. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It seems likely, for, for, for this reason, it seems likely to me that the prophet Daniel was given the the uh, position of influence to to plant that seed in these wise men, maybe these magi's mind who became wise men thanks to Daniel's teaching and thanks to their listening. And maybe their sons, maybe on were the ones that what they came that were here in this account in Matthew. But back to Herod again. You know, he was obviously impressed by these wise men. The distance they traveled, their bearing, their wealth, the interage combined with their knowledge, you know, got his and all of Jerusalem's attention. And not only that, but he was eager to play them to his own advantage. And what he didn't reckon on is that these were wise men. These weren't magi, really, in every sense of the word. They're also wise. True wisdom comes from above, and we'll see that later. So Herod, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Now Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of there shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. The scheming old fox wanted to know how old this child was. The scheming Herod positioned himself above the prophecy and the will of God. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. You know, what ruthless and what deceptive words for, for such a despot, <clears throat> for such a hard and cunning ruler. That I may come and worship him also. A blatant lie. And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stopped over where the young child was. The wise men moved along. You know, perhaps the least, their least wise move, again, was to pay a visit to Herod. But I don't think that that was their intent. Unless that God had, I think that God had probably orchestrated that so even the Jewish hierarchy would have a chance to learn of Jesus' birth and to be prepared for that and have the opportunity to to go and worship the Christ child also. But I like the singleness of purpose that I see here in the in the wise men. Jerusalem's attention didn't for an instant seem to attract them or sidetrack them. Herod's pomp and power didn't seem to impress them into hanging around and incurring his favor. They just moved right ahead. They were after finding this and discovering the Christ child. Only the leading of the star really seemed to hold their attention, finding out where this young child lay. And Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And this first would indicate to me that the star had now come to a standstill. They saw something there. The star was shining in a way that, that they understood this is, this is the end of our journey. That's where it's at. Instead of glimpses, it was now a strong indication. And they rejoiced exceedingly. And while Herod groaned back in his palace and ground his teeth and plotted his survival on the throne, the Magi, or the wise men, were rejoicing. You know, what a contrast. What a contrast. Here, the Gentiles rejoicing, and Herod back there plotting his survival on his throne. The wise men worship the true king, and wise men will worship the true king. They always do. In contrast to Balaam, you know, who said the words of blessing. He said what God told him to say. But then he later undermined the Israelites by through the, what is called the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of compromise. He undermined the Israelites, or he tried to. And he did. He, he did some damage to them through his doctrine. In contrast to them, these wise men, they, they not only worshipped, but then they followed up with significant gifts Significant and useful gifts. You know, we don't know how useful the frankincense and the myrrh was right at the time, whether it was used for the Christ for Christ later on. We don't know that. But we certainly know that gold was useful, and the myrrh and the frankincense were were certainly kingly gifts, and they signified, you know, what kind of child this was. 
And I suppose that with Mary and Joseph traveling with their family around, that that gold was put to good use. Also, it's interesting to me that the wise men come and they worship the Christ child here, a child that's very vulnerable. You know, wouldn't Herod been more fitting of the worship? Here's a, you know, Herod was a king and he was in his glory and so forth. And they could have gone to a greater kingdom somewhere and worshiped a king. But no, they, they came here and here was a, a tender young lad probably. He was, I'm thinking maybe around 18 months old. It's just my thought. And um, just a child. And they, they fall down and they, they worship him. They worship him because they know his being, not because of how he looks, his appearance, and so forth. They worship because they know his being. He's been prophesied of. And they, they're convinced that this is the Christ child they've been looking for. This is out of a commentary. It's anonymous, so I don't know who wrote it. But it says, upon, upon entering the house, they saw the boy and his mother. Then he asked the questions, Do we understand why on seeing such a glorious sight they delighted in the boy, the boy whom they sought as a king and for whom they undertook the labor of so great a journey? Did they see a palace splendid in, mar- in its marble? Did they see a mother crowned with a diadem or reclining on a gilded couch? Did they see a boy swaddled in purple and gold, a royal hallway thronged with various peoples? What did they see? A dark and lowly stable. I suppose maybe Mary and Joseph were in a little better housing by now. This could have been quite some time from the time of the birth, maybe anywhere from six months to a year and a half. So it may have not been a dark and lowly stable, but it was certainly not a king's palace. And we saw see a mother here, just a very common woman, a carpenter's wife. And they present, these wise men present gifts without pretense. And then they, in adoration, come to this child. And that's what brought me to this study in the first place. As I was reading through the Christmas story, I was struck how devoted these wise men were, what lengths they went to give their devotion. And had to think about myself and, you know, how far will I go to give devotion to the to the to Christ, to the Christ that's not a Christ child anymore, but has, has grown up and has done his life's work here on this earth, is still doing his life's work, but thinking of his life's work of going to the cross, giving his life, becoming a ransom for many, and then ascending to the Heavenly Father and continuing his life's work here in my heart and in your hearts. How far will I go to, to give devotion to this this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And how often am I, am I possibly like Herod or possibly are we like Herod where we plot our own survival instead of going and becoming devoted, devoting ourselves and giving our gifts to the Christ child. These men adored him. They adored him for who he was. And then they, being warned of God in a dream, they didn't return by the way they came. They didn't go back to Herod again. They went, the wise men obeyed God. They didn't undermine the child like Balaam did, but they actually lifted him up. They helped him. 
And I think there was significant risk involved for the wise men probably in doing this. Uh, They had Herod's command to come back and for them to take themselves and the camels and get left and go another way. I believe there could have been serious repercussions if they would have been caught. But that's that's what they did. And of course we have the contrast here again of Herod. He's you know, the reason he asked, I believe, the wise men exactly what time they saw this star and so forth is just so he'd know how old this child might be yet. And, uh, and then he calculated that he would need to kill the children two years and younger, all the boy children two years and younger, younger there in Jerusalem and also in the surrounding areas. And, and then it talks about after the wise men left and he saw he was mocked, he was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. That's in verse 16. And it was, the voice was heard, lamentation and weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children would not be comforted because they are not. You know how different, how different uh, Herod from the Magi or from, from these wise men who understood much more perfectly the way of God. So just a few, just a few lessons from this. Um, the Magi—they acted on their belief. Are we acting on ours? You know, it's much easier to talk the talk than to actually get on our camels and head for Jerusalem and make the journey. Matthew twelve twelve fifty says, "For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, sister, and mother." To do lip service is much easier than to actually get on the camels and and make the journey and make the sacrifice. And then these men were forthright again. They were bold and they were honest in their quests. They weren't sneaky. They weren't controvert. They didn't try to do something in dark uh, so other people wouldn't see them. They let people know their mission. And I had to think of the verses that, uh, where Jesus says in Matthew ten thirty two, "Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven." They wore their religion or their intent on their sleeve, and I believe we should too. You know, it's one thing to throw our pearls before swine. And it's another thing to wear our beliefs, our religion, our belief in Christ in our sleep. Um, and then they had singleness of purpose. They didn't let the attractions sidetrack them. They didn't let Herod's pomp and his power impress them. They didn't hang around. They just kept following that star. And Jesus says in, in Luke 9.62, he says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And that's certainly a lesson for us to remember is let's not get sidetracked. Satan will definitely try to sidetrack us, sidetrack us in our quest to find Christ. But let's not let him do that. And then they rejoiced exceedingly. You know, while Herod ground his teeth, was angry, they rejoiced. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 
24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomsoever will save his life shall lose it, and whomsoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, they rejoice exceedingly because I believe they found, they knew they were finding something, that pearl of great value, something that was so much more important than anything they'd ever had. And then they worshipped the true king. And wise men still worship the true king. And I believe that each one of us, I know that each one of us here this morning has that God-given capability to go from being a knowledgeable person, a magi, to a, a wise person, having the wisdom that comes from above. And, and that's why I want for myself and for all of us to be true wise men, heading back to wherever we're headed to, but with the King of glory in our hearts, in our lives, and teaching us and leading us. And that's what I want for us this coming year. Let us be wise men. God bless you. And I'll ask uh,